Hello there, my name is Peter Boyd and you're very welcome to the ULAR Parry podcast, where we discuss topics of interest to the Parry community, as well as to people living with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases. Today I'm joined by our guests, Joe Lowe and Joe Davis from ASIF, the Axial Spondyloarthritis International Federation. So stick around to meet them. On today's show, we will be hearing more about one of ASIF's major projects on the delay to diagnosis that people with axial spondyloarthritis often face which was also one of the winners of the Best Practice Fair at the recently held ULAR Parry Conference. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. So firstly, it's a very warm welcome and thank you for being here to uh, Joe Lowe. He- hello and go- very welcome. Hi, Peter. Thanks no. for having us. Delighted no, to be you're here. You're very welcome to the show. And Joe Davis, you're very welcome, obviously, as well. Thank you for having us, Peter. We're really pleased to be it's here. Brilliant, and I suppose it, it, there's only one place to start. And and and, and firstly, say congratulations on being one of the winners of the best practice fair at the ULAR Parry Conference. It, a big achievement, and and something that everyone was was truly inspired and, and enjoyed uh, seeing. Uh, if I could go to you first, uh, Joe Lowe, can you tell us a little bit more about this project and uh, where it came from, and, and and what were the objectives? Yeah, sure. Thank Peter. So um, I think. It's worth giving a bit of background really on why the delayed diagnosis is such a huge problem for AXPAR patients and that's really where our motivation for the the project came from. Um, So the average global delay is around 7.4 years uh, and we know that people can sometimes wait even a lot longer than that, even up to 15 and 20 years. That's simply unacceptable, particularly when you consider the turmoil that people go through whilst waiting for that diagnosis. Um, AXPAR causes severe pain and often fatigue. It means that patients aren't able to do the things that they were before. And all of this is happening whilst they don't understand what's happening to their bodies. Uh, That not knowing can often cause fear and frustration and can lead to anxiety and depression. Uh, We also know that symptoms typically start in a person's 20s, meaning that studying, starting long-term relationships, making career choices all often have to be put on hold. Um, And to make matters worse, AXPAR is a progressive disease and it will usually progress until it's actually treated. Uh, So, of course, you need a diagnosis to be able to treat it. Uh, And treatments are also more effective the less a person's disease has progressed. So it's just so important to get that earlier diagnosis to be able to start treating the individual effectively. We also know that uh, really the average delay globally hasn't improved in the last three decades Um, And so our main objectives for this stage of the project were to highlight the barriers uh, to a timely diagnosis and importantly, improve the understanding of the human burden of the delay, what people are going through. So we wanted to produce a report that that did both of these things, that drew on scientific evidence as well, um, so that we could provide our members at ASIF around the world with a tool that that supports their work um, and as well as raises awareness more generally it's very very clear objectives and, and very very important you know when you talk about those areas of life life course and and, and different things like that it, it's it's really really important and if i co- come to you joe davis see you know what what steps did us take to to achieve these these objectives that were indeed very noble um, well one of the key things we did was to host two global forum events in the autumn of 2020 um Over 45 people from 23 countries attended those events. 
we had patients, we had patient organisation representatives, rheumatologists and um, other healthcare professionals. Um, and at those events, we broke out into small groups to discuss the impact of the delay, um, the reasons for it, and examples of good practice in reducing that delay. To prepare the final report, we reviewed recordings of those discussions, and then we also did a global literature review of relevant research in AXFAR. We wanted to tell the story of the burden of the delay, making sure it was from the patient perspective, that that was the focus of the report. And then we also wanted to make sure that was underpinned by robust research. Um, this is, we thought would give our members, which are patient organizations all around the world, something that they could use to um, approach a range of audiences. Excellent. Well, and like you say, it, it, it really is a matter of taking it from the very base idea from what, what you had, you, you saw it was there and you took it through through those 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 meetings and those those plans that you did and the steps that you took. And I suppose when I come back to yourself, uh, jo, Joel, uh, one of the outcomes of the project was obviously that there was a there were several barriers that were identified and, and barriers to timely diagnosis. And I know between the two of you now, you're going to take us through some of those barriers that, that, that you, that you uh, found and, and identified. Yeah, that's right. So we identified six barriers uh, that stand in the way of people getting a, a diagnosis more quickly. Um, and what's really saddening, Peter, is that a lot of people will experience sometimes all six of these barriers uh, in, in on their path to a diagnosis. Um, so the, the first thing that we, we identified really was a limited awareness in people that actually have symptoms and actually have AXPAR. So for a lot of people, it won't be clear at all what the first signs of AXPAR actually are. Um, if an individual doesn't already know somebody that's got the disease, then they're likely to think that the, the, the first symptoms are common aches and pains or just more generalised backache. Uh, often early in AXPAR symptoms, the pain can come and go and it can, it can even disappear for a period of days or weeks. Uh, and that can often make people think that it's, it is something more uh, temporary and it, the issue might resolve itself. Um, and to compound that further, because symptoms do start early in life, people just don't think that they've got a, a rheumatoid disease that, you know, someone in, who's 21 doesn't think that, OK, I've got a disease that's really normally associated with older people. The next barrier we uh, identified was the lack of understanding and uh, general awareness of axial spondyloarthritis, or AXPAR, amongst the general population. Clearly, if there were better awareness of AXPAR, then individuals suffering with symptoms might actually recognise what they are and what they've got. But unfortunately, AXPAR is pretty much unheard of, um, unless, as Joe said before, unless you know someone who has the disease. Um, a lot of people have a reasonable understanding of arthritis more broadly, but the terms axial spondyloarthritis and ankylosing spondylitis are simply just not very well known. Um, even their pronunciation and spelling are difficult for those who've not come across them before, which makes raising awareness even more difficult. And the, the third barrier that we identified, um, and this is very, very common, uh, is that people don't 
get recognised as having symptoms of AXPA at the first point of contact when they go to see a doctor. So unfortunately, a lot of doctors simply don't recognise that these symptoms might be anything other than general back pain. Um, research also, published research also shows a poor awareness uh, within healthcare professionals who are not specialists. Um, and this significantly reduces the likelihood that the person will be referred for any kind of, of further investigation. Uh, and in, yeah, it's much more likely to, that someone in the early stages of AXPAR will be treated for mechanical back pain. Uh, and we heard at the Global Forum events from a lot of people that they'd had repeated visits to family doctors and primary care doctors where the symptoms were just underplayed and even in some cases disbelieved. Uh, people often seek out their own treatments through physical therapy, seeing a chiropractor, taking standard painkillers. Um, and sadly, this is a loop that some people can just get stuck in for years and years. And that's one of the things that, 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 that adds to that, that loop, it adds to the delay and adds, adds to the difficulty. And even going back to a point that you made earlier, uh, Joe, Joe D, about the pronunciation, even for someone like myself, I, I, I've been, been practicing and I'm working on this for, for a few <laughs> days just to make sure that I, I, I get the pronunciation right and no doubt I'll get it wrong at, at some point. Um, we've, a couple, we've a couple more barriers to, to go through. Uh, if you'd like to continue, Joe Davis. Yeah, the next um, barrier um, is uh, the pathway and referral challenges that leads on from primary primary care. So this is um, this barrier is about people being referred correctly to a rheumatologist. Unfortunately, even when an individual does uh, goes to a doctor with signs and symptoms of AXPAR, they're often referred to someone without the appropriate knowledge or expertise. Patients and healthcare professionals at our global forum events all spoke about, many spoke about how common it is for people with AXPAR to be incorrectly referred onto a range of non-specialists, so chiropractors, orthopedists, pain management clinics, and even in some cases, psychiatrists and alternative medicine practitioners. However, it's really only rheumatologists that have the necessary speciality knowledge and and they're the ones who have the diagnostic tools needed to distinguish the inflammatory nature of AXPAR from mechanical back pain. Yeah, and then uh, moving on, on from that, um, often there are challenges people face in, in getting the correct type of specialist care. Um, so, for, for some people, this barrier can be almost impossible to overcome. Uh, this is particularly common in healthcare systems where you need to pay to access care. Uh, and so patients that don't have some form of medical insurance simply can't afford to have their symptoms investigated properly. Uh, again, this was something that was highlighted by global forum uh, attendees from a whole range of healthcare systems from South Africa to the Philippines, from Russia to India. Uh, patients with less, less money often have to limit their healthcare just to go into a pharmacist and treating themselves to manage the pain temporarily with anti-inflammatory drugs, but they just don't have the option of seeking a longer term solution. 
Um, and in many countries, there's, there are also geographical barriers to getting that specialist healthcare. Uh, and this is particularly challenging for people who live in rural areas in large countries. So we know that there's a general lack of rheumatologists uh, in, in, in many countries, in many well-developed countries with really good healthcare systems, uh, but in some maybe less well-developed countries, um, especially where there's a large geographical area, um, it can take days to travel the distance to see a rheumatologist because there are so few of them available. And uh, finally, we also found that there are challenges even within rheumatology that can cause delays. We know that early referral to a rheumatologist significantly reduces the time to diagnosis, but sadly, being seen by a rheumatologist doesn't actually always guarantee a swift diagnosis. And this is mainly because of the complexity in diagnosing AXPAR. There isn't a universally recognised um, assessment criteria and there's no single definitive test for the disease. So diagnosis is made on a range of different criteria including physical examination, blood tests and x-rays and then um, in addition to diagnose non-radiographic AXPAR an, an MRI is usually needed and that's just unfortunately not readily available in many parts of the world. So sometimes even rheumatologists can overlook the signs and symptoms of AXPAR. There are a relatively small number of really excellent AXPAR specialist rheumatologists, but outside this group, awareness and understanding of the disease can still be limited. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, as you said, they're, they're so clear, those barriers. And, and even with the best will in the world, with the, the, the awareness and understanding, with, even amongst the people that we're, we need to get to and we need to get to see, sometimes that can be even a barrier to, to getting a good diagnosis. So uh, we'll come back to these uh, barriers in, in, in a little while uh, when, when we look at some of the recommendations that came out of the uh, Delay to Diagnosis project. Let's take a short break now to share more information about the ULAR 2022 Congress. Abstract submission to this year's edition of the ULAR Congress is now open. The Congress is the preeminent platform for patient organisations across Europe to share best practices and to gain cutting-edge knowledge about the treatment, care and quality of life for people with RMDs. Make sure to submit your contribution showcasing activities and research focusing on the patient perspective and interest before the 31st of January deadline. Submit your abstract through the Congress website now and we look forward to learning more about it in Copenhagen in June. So as, as I said there, we, we get back to our conversation with uh, with Joe, Joe Lowe and Joe Davis from, from ASIF. And we mentioned before the, the, the short break there about the, the barriers that were identified. Uh, we come now to the set of recommendations that were made out of out of the report. And I, I suppose we want to get a bit of an elaboration on, on what those recommendations were. And maybe we'll start again with yourself, uh, uh, Joel. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Um, so... 
As you say, our report does set out a number of recommendations. Uh, we have five in total. Um, the first one of those is that uh, leaders who are responsible for healthcare uh, at a national level should be having conversations about the diagnostic delay. We know that AXPAR isn't high on the agenda of most healthcare leaders. Um, other better known diseases tend to take priority. Um, we understand that, but really, if we are to make any progress, we have to have people who are responsible for the provision of, of AXPAR services having those conversations at, at a countrywide level. Um, we know it's a big ask and there's a lot to be done within countries to get onto health and policy agendas, um, but we hope that our report and the work that we're going to do from, from, from the basis of that report can help to, to make this a priority. Um, secondly, we we recommend broader awareness campaigns. I think this is really crucial. Um, the, they're so clearly needed, uh, these campaigns, to increase AXPAR knowledge and understanding in the general population. Uh, and obviously, if it's increased in the general population, that has a, a knock-on effect through, through all healthcare systems as well. Uh, we saw from some of the best practice case studies that were in the report that the cam these campaigns can be done very well and when they are they can have a really positive impact and can actually result in people being diagnosed earlier. The, uh, the third recommendation is that those trying to change the delay should aim for a collaborative approach and draw on all the knowledge, expertise and support that's available. And by this, we mean involving all relevant stakeholders, for example, healthcare professionals, patients, patient um, associations, and healthcare leaders and policymakers. As we've heard, um, an AXPAR diagnosis isn't straightforward, but there are some good examples of best practice, practice in achieving early diagnosis. And there's a wealth of knowledge and good practice within healthcare and patient groups, but this needs to be more widespread and better known. And we believe it's important that healthcare leaders promote awareness of these best practices or areas of knowledge and encourage using them within their organisations. And finally, we recommend that any AXPAR diagnosis delay initiatives should be underpinned by robust data collection. And we know from our members they have a, that they have a far stronger case when dealing with policymakers and healthcare leaders if they have uh, good evidence, uh, good robust evidence to back up all the claims and asks. There's a lot of work to be done, but we hope our report is a platform that can build, that we can build on as we take this project forward. Yeah, certainly, you, you would hope that with with all the excellent work that was, that's included in the recommendations that are there, that it will take things forward. And and looking into that future, you know, they, they are the, the recommendations for change. They're, they're what, what you want to see uh, happen. Uh, the project has accomplished a lot already, uh, Joel, if I could come to you. So what what are the next steps uh, that ASIF will take um, to, to continue promoting this change? Yeah, so as, as Joe has just said, uh, uh, the launch of the report was an important milestone, but we're aware that there is a lot of work still to be done um, if we're going to be successful and to actually start reducing that delay. 
Uh, we're delighted that the report has been received uh, so well by so many people and you know, we've been asked to translate it into other languages, for example. Um, but what we now need to do is make sure that it gets through, that that message gets through to policymakers and healthcare leaders and anyone who plays a role in, in AXPAR services. So, to help us decide how we best do that, we've established a new delayed diagnosis steering group. Uh, the group's made up of expert rheumatology, physiotherapy and patient voices from around the world. Uh, they're going to work closely with us to agree a project plan uh, and that will have the biggest impact that, that we can possibly have. Um, and that could be through various initiatives supporting our members. It could be engaging with decision makers directly. It could be both or a whole range of things. So that that um, steering group is, is due to meet in around one month's time. So we're really excited about, about that and, and starting to develop actual initiatives from, from those recommendations. Um, we also want to learn from people in other disease areas who have had success in increasing the awareness of a particular disease. Um, and we've also got now public affairs and health policy expertise on our steering group. Uh, and there's a lot for us to learn there. And that will really help us to take the recommendations forward. Um, so, yeah, as, as we say, we, we're realistic that there's a lot of work to do, but we're certainly up for the challenge. Uh, we're hugely excited and we have got such a wonderful community uh, to partner with to do this. Um, so, yeah onwards and upwards yeah, it's, it's exciting times it's, it's it's like everything else when you do such a great report you almost give yourself more work to do in, in implementing what you come up with so <laughs> um and it just if, if we look at the 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 kind of the the links and the synergies you know ULAC the ULAC campaign the Dope Today Connect Today was launched in 2017 it highlighted the issue around de delayed diagnosis not only in AXPA and AS but in all our RMDs so you know there's a strong connection there with what what you what you've done and, and what you're working on here. And um, what synergies do you see there between between the the delayed diagnosis project and the work of ULAR Parry, uh, Joe Davis? Um, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. This is uh, don't delay. Connect today um, is an excellent awareness campaign, one that we can learn from, and it's one that as if fully supports. I think the main similarity I see between the two is it, it also focuses on the patient perspective and uses personal stories um, in many videos. And that's something we've done uh, with our campaign as well. It's a really brilliant way of getting the message across. Um, I hope that we can learn something from the ULAR campaign about how to engage so successfully um, across so many different countries, which I think is a very exciting um, campaign when you look at the, the success of Don't Delay Connect today. However, given the problems we've talked about today that are specific to axial spondyloarthritis awareness, um, in order to support our members, which are also global, not only in Europe, as if felt it was necessary to uh, create a project that focused on our one disease area. And there are other campaigns and um, examples of best practice happening around the world at national levels, not least um, in the UK. NAS have an excellent uh, campaign called Act on Axial Spa. But we believe that there is added value in all these campaigns happening alongside each other simultaneously. And we hope that we can learn from each other. We can promote each other's campaigns and even share material. We certainly benefit as if benefits from ULAR's campaign, most certainly. Um, but if we all keep repeating this message uh, that the delay to diagnosis is unacceptable, then maybe 
just maybe it'll finally be heard and something could be done about it. Well, I tell you, fingers crossed, and we, we all hope that that's the, the outcome that comes from it. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for, for today to, to talk about this wonderful project and, and, and wonderful outcomes that you come uh, to us with. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and, and thank you to our guests, uh, Joe Lowe, Joe Davis, uh, for sharing not just a little bit, but so much about the, the, the project and, and all of your work that, with ASIF and uh, the great project of delayed to diagnosis in people with axial spondyloarthritis. Uh, to Joe Lowe, Joe Davis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you, Peter. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it's been interesting. It most certainly has. And thank you so much for, for that episode of our podcast today. Join us again for our next episode. If you don't want to miss it, please don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or other podcast platforms so that you get notified when the episode is available. Until next time, take care. Thank you.